Amen. Amen. Thank you for that, praise team. It's just such a tender song. Uh, oh, precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's beautiful. Well, it's good to have you here today. We're glad to have you worship with us today in the Word of God. And we want to continue our worship as we come and understand the Word of God. I want you to take your Bibles to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15 this morning. I'm going to be preaching back on the book of Mark today. Uh, the title of the series is Join the Journey and what it means to be a true disciple of Christ. And as we look at the life of Jesus Christ, we see that we're to follow this same pattern. And so it's very difficult to do that as you look at these passages today. Uh, but I'm going to read verses 1 to 15. We have a couple chapters left in the book of Mark. We'll be done with our series. And these are just some awesome passages of Scripture. Uh, I was really praying about how to communicate this today. And... Um, this is what I landed on. So let's stand together. I'm going to read verses 1 to 15. Mark 15, 1 to 15. Stand with me now as we read God's Word. And early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and the scribes and the whole Sanhedrin immediately held counsel, and binding Jesus, led him away and delivered him to Pilate. And Pilate questioned him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, You yourself say it. And the chief priests began to accuse him of many things. And Pilate was questioning him again, saying, Do you not answer? See how many accusations they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so Pilate marveled. Now at the feast he used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. And the man named Barabbas had been imprisoned with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the insurrection. And the crowd went up and began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. And Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he was aware that the chief priests had delivered him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to ask him to release Babas for them instead. And answering again, Pilate was saying to them, Then what shall I do with him who is called the king of the Jews? And they shouted again, Crucify him. But Pilate was saying to them, Why, what evil did he do? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! And wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them. And after having Jesus scourged, he delivered him over to be crucified. You may be seated. I've entitled this message today, So Many Voices. There are so many voices that speak to us. And, and as you come to this passage of Scripture, you hear all kinds of voices that are speaking to Pilate, that are speaking to Jesus. And that's really where I wanted to go with this message today. The voices that spoke to Pilate, the voices that spoke through Jesus. Now, Jesus stands before Pilate, and um, the crowd is clamoring for Pilate to crucify him. It's an amazing moment in Scripture, because in this one moment of time, Jesus is in Pilate's hand. And it's the one chance Pilate has. Because I want you to understand this about this text. While Jesus was before Pilate, Pilate was before God in heaven. While Jesus was being judged by Pilate, Pilate was being judged by God. And while Jesus 
was in Pilate's hand. Pilate was in God's hand. That's a sobering thought to think about because you have to see that underlying the whole text that this is the one opportunity Pilate has before Almighty God. Pilate represents every unsaved man, every unsaved woman, every boy or girl in this place today who does not know Jesus. And you will walk out over the blood or you will walk out under the blood. But it will be your choice of what you do with Jesus. And so I've outlined this message, how to distinguish God's voice from other voices. It's very important you listen today because what you do with Jesus is what God will do with you. All right, number one, what is the voices that spoke to Pilate? First of all, it was the voice of God himself. The voice of God himself. Pilate said to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews, verse 2? And he answered, said, you yourself say it. That's a tough phrase to translate in their language to ours, but it is as you say. It is as you say. In, in that moment of time, deity spoke to Pilate. Deity said, it's, it's just like you say, Pilate, I am the king of the Jews. Luke, he uses the phrase, the son of God. Are you the son of God? And he says, it is as you say. He gave him a straightforward answer, no stutter, no stammering. He said, with all authority on this and authenticity, I am the king of the Jews. Now, why is that so strange? Because Pilate believed he was the king of the Jews. He believed he was the ruler and the king of the Jews over him. And the fact is that Pilate had the authority of Rome to prove it. I can kill you. I can put you to death. I have the authority. But Pilate knew there was something that wasn't normal about this man. Something not normal about him because he knew about the miracles. He knew about the feeding of the 5,000. He knew about all the people that he healed. So he knew he wasn't dealing with some normal man here today. That's important you understand that because this is the voice of God himself speaking. Okay? That's just an important thing to get across to you today. Jesus is here. He is in the word as I speak it. God himself is speaking here today. I'm, I'm, I am just the delivery boy. Okay, I'm, just, I'm just delivering the message. It's not me speaking. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit is speaking through me, but it is God speaking. It is as, it is as if Christ is standing in this pulpit as the word of God is preached. I preach every message, and, and I can say this is as if the breath of God is on the back of of my neck and I can sense it. Almost as if God's saying to me, you better get it right, son. And I feel that every time I preach. The voice of God himself says, Jesus is God. He is king of the Jews. And Pilate asked the crowd, what will you do with Jesus? That's the question you have to answer today. Because the voice of God himself says, it's me. It's me. And, and Pilate heard that voice. He heard the voice of God himself. And so it's so important. That's one of the voices you need to understand. Let me go on to the second one. The voice of reason spoke to Pilate. The voice of reason. 
He got himself here into a little situation where he knew that Jesus was innocent and he did not know what to do with this situation. So that's how he comes up with this Barabbas thing. I'll bring Barabbas out, a known murderer, and I'll put him up against Jesus. And surely the crowd will pick Jesus to be set free. I mean, the whole thing goes south for Pilate here at this moment of time. And, and what he knew, he knew that if he got himself in this situation, he had to sin against the voice of reason. The voice of reason. You say, how do you know? Because he knew what was going on. Look at verse 10 for a minute. For he was aware that the chief priests had delivered him over because of envy. He knew why they were bringing Jesus to him. He knew Jesus wasn't guilty, but he knew they were jealous of him. He figured this out in just a short period of time. Pilate is no fool. <laughs> you don't become the Roman governor of Jerusalem and Judea by being a fool. He knew the mind of men, and he knew they were jealous of Jesus. He knew Jesus, and he knew those Pharisees. He even said, when they cried out for Barabbas, he tried to defend Jesus. Well, what shall I do with this Jesus? Crucify him. He defends him again. What has he done wrong? Crucify him. We don't want the truth. See, there's this, there's this something in Pilate that he is stuck between the voice of reason and what he's going to do with Jesus. And he has to reason this thing out. What, what do I do with Jesus? Do I reject him? Do I accept him? He knew Jesus was innocent. He heard all the accusations. He heard all the witnesses. His conscience even told him that. But he felt the thrust of the people in hatred against Jesus. He had to sin against reason. He had to sin against what he knew was right in his mind. I love that old book. I read it years ago, but it, I, I always come back to it because it is the voice of reason. Josh McDowell wrote that book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And the thing I like about that book is that G, he says in his book, it stands to reason if Jesus said he was Lord of all, then he is one of three persons. Either is he Lord He's a liar or he's a lunatic. I love that. I love that. He is Lord, he is a liar, or he's lunatic. He said, those are your only three choices you've got with Jesus. What will you do with Jesus? You'd have to sin against the voice of reason to say that he's not Lord. Either he is Lord because he said he was Lord, or he's a liar. He wasn't Lord, but he pretended to be the Lord. Or he's a lunatic. He says he's Lord, but that man's crazy. Okay? Those are your only three choices. Lord, liar, or lunatic. But you have to suppress the truth and sin against the voice of reason to believe that Jesus was not Lord. And this is what Pilate's struggling with. He heard the voice of God himself. He heard the voice of reason. And now he's going to go against that. He goes against the voice of God. He goes against the voice of reason. Now I'm going to throw one in. I didn't throw this in the last service. I'm going to throw it in. As I was studying this, I saw in Matthew 27, he sinned against another voice. So this isn't my outline. I'm throwing it in. Uh, it just hits me. Matthew 27. While he was getting ready to offer these two prisoners, Barabbas or Jesus, Matthew 27 says his wife sent him a note. And his wife said to him, I had a horrible dream about this man. And he said, 
uh, Pilate's wife said to Pilate, said, have nothing to do with this righteous man. Now, he got that note. We don't know from Mark. We know from Matthew 27. He got that note just before he put the two prisoners out there because he's in a tough situation. I've got to get this thing off my hands, and I'm not listening to the voice of God. I'm not listening to the voice of reason. But he wasn't even listening to the voice of love. I mean, if your wife comes to you and begs you and says, please, have nothing to do with this. Would you listen to that voice of love? And I thought about that. I thought about the reason I stand here today is because of the voice of love. I was thinking of a story that I heard not too long ago about a mother who so loved her son and wanted to see him get saved, she would share Christ with him. He said, I want you to share Christ with me. Don't tell me about Christ anymore. So she didn't know what to do, so she'd put tracks where he'd hang his coat and he'd have his keys by the, just underneath his coat there, and so she'd put little tracks there to send messages to him. And he'd come home, he'd be flustered, he'd throw the track, he'd grab the keys and he'd leave. She'd do it. Every time the coat was there, she'd put another track there of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he finally, out of total frustration, looked at his mom and said, where can I go where someone like you won't give me a track? And his mother said, son, you can go to hell and no one will give you a track there. And that's so true. The voice of love, as, as crazy as, as that is, as crazy as a mother can be sometimes, she is so burdened by her son in the voice of love. That's why I think of my grandmother. I am here because of the voice of love. When my grandmother got saved in her 40s, she did a 180, and in doing a 180, she went after all of her kids, her three daughters, and one of those daughters was my mom. And my mom wanted nothing to do with the voice of love from her mom. And her mom would tell her, you need Jesus. And she said, Mom, I don't want to hear it. I want to party, I want to drink, I want to smoke, I want to, I want to be out with the crowd. And she was literally at Penn State at the time, running with the crowd, running with her boyfriend, my dad, and just living it up to the hilt. And every time the voice of love would speak to her, she said, don't tell me about that, I don't want to hear that. She would reject the voice of my grandmother because she didn't want to hear it. But through the process of time, through the voice of love, it was the voice of love that ultimately broke down my mom. And she knew she needed Jesus Christ as a Savior. And she got saved because of the voice of love. I'm telling you, you'd have to sin against the voice of love to go to hell. You think about that. That's a weighty thought. And it was the voice of love then from my mom to my dad who rejected my mom because she got saved. And so the voice of love from my grandmother to my mom to my dad, is ultimately why I'm here today. Because behind the scenes, there were some people in the family that loved beyond all the ridicule and beyond all of the strife that it caused in their home. And that's why I stand here today, the voice of love. So in Pilate's case, it's the same thing. He had to sin against the voice of God himself. He had to sin against the voice of reason. He had to sin against the voice of love. And then finally, he had to sin against the voice of public opinion. That's actually number three, the voice of public opinion. He put Barabbas up against Jesus and said, this is an easy choice. And the Bible says, 
He knew they did it because of jealousy. But look at verse 15. And wishing to satisfy the crowd. There it is. Wishing to satisfy the crowd. He sinned against all those things, but when it got right down to it, he could not take the peer pressure from the crowd. He could not take that peer pressure. And so he gave in. He said, why would you crucify Jesus? He tried to defend him twice. And the crowd just kept crying out, crucify him, crucify him. It's an incredible passage of Scripture. How many times, this is how I want to apply it to you, how many times have we made our choices based upon the crowd? Based upon what our friends thought and how our friends felt and the peer pressure that we felt. The peer pressure of family. That's tough. When you know somebody in the family's wrong, but you're, you're just, you, you got to be very careful how you handle that because you can't speak up. And the peer pressure of family can be so heavy. The peer pressure at work, not to say anything. Just keep your mouth shut. The peer pressure of society. Just, just be silent. Now, now, I want to tell you something about Pilate, okay? And this is what I've learned about peer pressure. And this is what I've learned about people's public opinion and how it influences us. Pilate is not a man whose hands are tied. He's not like, well, I don't know what I'll do. Now, let me tell you something. He is a ruthless, cruel politician. That's what he is. He is a ruthless, cruel politician. You can study him in history and find that out yourself. He played his cards wrong at this moment, thinking the people would pick Barabbas over Jesus, so he blew that one. But then as he begins to think it through politically, he thinks to himself, you know what? When I look at this situation I'm in, it's just one guy. Just one man has to die. And then I can make thousands of people happy. And that, that's how he kind of reasons this. Dude, this is how cruel he is. He knows the guy's innocent. He tries to get Jesus off, but he ultimately thinks to himself, I, I can make everybody happy except one guy. I can make the Pharisees happy, the Sanhedrin happy. I can make the crowd happy. Why? Because he saw the political lily-livered opportunity in his hands, and he took it. I know he's thinking to himself, I'm awesome. One guy had to die. But look, I got thousands of people happy with me. And if these thousand are happy, then Jerusalem's happy. And if Jerusalem's happy, then Rome's happy. And if Rome's happy, then I'm happy. Because I don't want to deal with Caesar. These people have been nothing but a mess to deal with and so I'm just playing my political card right here. I'm going with public opinion. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that, that that's how simple it was for Pilate? His thought was the end justifies the means. The end justifies the means. Now, probably none of us have done what Pilate did, but maybe you've acted similarly, where we think the end justifies the mean, the political advantageous to Pilate. He had no qualms. And so many times it's easier to do that in life. Sometimes to just make what's the best political, what's the best end justifies the mean decision. That's violating that voice and going with the voice of public opinion. And I'm telling you, that ain't an easy one because Pilate listened to the wrong voice and pleased the crowd. You can't please God 
and please the crowd. That's, that's, that's heavy stuff to think about. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me with the crowd, then I'm going to be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven. That's, that's just how straight he puts it. And so that's an amazing thing. Let me, let me just tell you this story. I like this story. This is a story I read years ago about an evangelist, a Methodist evangelist back in the early 1900s. His name was Gypsy Smith. He was a gypsy, and he got saved. And he was having, holding a revival in London. And in these revivals, this is one of the largest revivals he had. This is a huge crowd for people back then. He would have workers that would be up in the bleachers that would look for people who looked like they were coming under conviction during the altar call. And night after night in London, the Spirit of God was breaking out in this revival. And so in this particular case, um, there's this young lady sitting up in the bleachers away from everyone, and the worker looked over and saw she was under conviction while Gypsy Smith was giving an invitation. And so the uh, personal worker went over and said, said, ma'am, would you like to come forward and would you like to receive Christ as your Savior? She said, no, no, I can't do that. I, I can't go down in front of all those people. No, I, I won't do that. Well, ma'am, unless you'll come forward, you can't be saved. So she said, well, then I won't. She came the next night she came under conviction again and she was crying there and the worker came up to her and said ma'am the spirit of God's dealing with you Would you like to come forward and and make a public confession of Jesus Christ as your Savior and she said no no isn't can, can I just be saved back here please why do I have to go up in front of everybody well, ma'am if you if you want to be saved you you're gonna have to come forward and make a public confession of Christ she said I won't do it I won't do it why do I have to do that and so she left she came back the third night, same personal worker, same area, same, sat in the same seat. And she, he saw the tears again in her eyes, and he went up to her and he said, he said, ma'am, would you, would you like to come forward and confess Christ? And you know what she said? She said, oh, yes, I will. I will do anything. I will go anywhere just to have peace with God. And then the worker looked at her and said, Ma'am, now you don't have to go up front. You can be saved back here. You know, when a person, when a person changes inside in that way, they don't care about the public opinion. What they care about is the truth and being right with God. And that overpowers everything. I just think that's a beautiful story to think about these voices that speak sometimes. And public opinion just quietens us sometimes and shuts us up in ways that it shouldn't. And so that's what literally condemned Pilate to an eternal hell. Standing before God was the fact that he went with public opinion over Jesus. All right, those are the voices that spoke to Pilate. Let me talk about the voices that spoke to Jesus. The first one was, of course, the voice of truth. I'm going to go back through it again, but with a different angle on it. Verse 2, Pilate said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered and said to him, You yourself say it. In other words, I agree with what you're saying. But here's the thing. That's an idiom in the Greek, and we don't have a good translation for it in the English. And uh, Jesus is saying this, I acknowledge that you spoke the truth. I acknowledge you spoke the truth, but let me qualify the truth. Because what you're saying is you don't really understand the full implications of who I am. And you're implying 
uh, or what Jesus is implying is, my kingdom is not of this world, Pilate. Yes, I am a king, but my kingdom is not of this world. I'm not the kind of king you're thinking. You don't have anything to worry about, Pilate, because I'm not trying to take over your kingdom. I'm not even trying to take over the kingdom of Rome. In other words, my kingdom is transcendent. It's not about this puny world. It is much bigger than that. It's higher than that. I am the king of kings and lord of lords. I'm not the king of Rome. I'm the king of everything. And every, everyone one day will stand before me and give an account for their life. And they will see who I am for who I am. And I will see them for who they are. And they will give an account. That's really what he's saying there in that text. And it's hard to put that into English because Jesus came to bear witness to the truth. And so he was the voice of truth. I, I personally wrote this in my notes. I don't know any time in history when the church was less interested in truth than it is today. There are so many things that we just want to kind of water down the truth or we don't really want to speak to issues or we don't want to talk to them and we really don't want to know truth. And that's why doctrine and literally understanding the Word of God is so important because our belief and our practice here at this church is built on the foundation of truth. We've got to be truth seekers, truth seekers. And if you look through the whole Bible, that's what you see. It's always a war of truth. It's a war of truth. In the Old Testament, it was a war of truth. There were the false prophets that said the word wasn't true or that prophet wasn't true. Then there were the true prophets of God and they said this is truth. And so everything for the people of Israel was a war of truth. And so they were in a battle. Do I take this prophet or do I take this prophet? Now, when the society of Israel favored the false prophets, then the true prophets would say things like this, like Isaiah. Truth has fallen in the streets. And it is being crushed. Because everyone who is of the truth will seek the truth and will want the truth. And they'll hear his voice. See, so we, we have to be truth seekers because there's such a pool in that today in our society. Let me go on to number two. Not only was it the voice of truth, but it was the voice of silence. The voice of silence. I found this interesting. Uh, Pilate question in verse four again said, do you not answer? See how many accusations they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so Pilate marveled. When it says Pilate marveled, what that means is, just in our language, it would be, it blew his mind. It blew his mind that Jesus would be quiet. You know why? Because everyone who was at the point of being crucified or killed would beg Pilate to live, would beg to have life, would cry in front of Pilate and fall to their knees and just say, whatever I have to do, please don't kill me. Jesus was the only guy who didn't do that. So it blew Pilate's mind that he's not there trying to defend his life. And he keeps quiet and he's silent. Now why is he silent? It, it's, it's a very interesting thing to note here. In chapter 15, verse 1, they bound Jesus and it says they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. And then it says in verse 15... Wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them, and after having Jesus scourged, he delivered him over to be crucified. Now, this is why Jesus didn't say anything. 
And I hope you can get this, okay? The Jews in the prophecy were not allowed to kill Jesus. And so they delivered him over to the Gentiles, to Pilate. And Pilate, to fulfill prophecy, could himself not kill him inside the city. He had to have him destroyed outside the city. So he delivers him to be crucified. So he's delivered from the Jews, delivered to the Gentiles, delivered to outside the city. That's all prophecy. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 66. Mark chapter uh, 10, verse 32. Uh, Jesus even says, I've got to be delivered from the Jews to the Gentiles, and then I must be killed outside the city. It's amazing. This is why he's not saying anything, okay? This is what you need to understand here is that he's not saying anything because he realizes at that moment in time he's fulfilling prophecy. What prophecy is he fulfilling? The scapegoat. That when the sins of the people in the Old Testament are, are to be taken away from the people one day a year on the Day of Atonement, they would take two goats and one goat they would sacrifice in the temple but the other goat, they would tie a rope around its neck. And then Aaron would put his hand on the head of the goat and he would impute or he would transfer sin of all the people for the whole year onto the goat. And after he imputed that or he transferred that over to the goat, that goat was led away by another priest and he was taken into the wilderness. And when he was taken into the wilderness, then he was brought to a cliff and he would be pushed off the cliff backwards and he would go to utter destruction. That was the day of atonement where sin was transferred away from the people for a year because a goat could only do it for a year. And so in Jesus' case, he has to be delivered away from the Jews outside of Jerusalem, but he has to be delivered to Pilate and then he has to be delivered to the place of destruction. And so Jesus knew at that very moment in time, whatever you do, I don't need to say anything in my defense because he had this, and I just wrote this like this in my notes, he had this deep conviction that every moment of his life is going exactly as it should be going. Which is absolutely amazing to me. Because he doesn't have to say anything. This is how it should be going. I should be being beaten. I should be putting on a cross. I should be treated like this. I, all these things he knows. He has this deep conviction that it's going exactly like it should be going. Now I'm just going to ask you, okay, because this is where I really wanted to apply to your life. Do you have a deep conviction an absolute deep conviction that everything in your life is going exactly as God has planned it to go. As hard as that is to come to that acceptance, that's where you're to be like Jesus. You're to come to this place where you say, it's going exactly as it's supposed to go. And when you know that, you can rest. You can rest. As messed up as it gets, as, as discombobulated as, as, as all the things that hit you in life, all the things that happen, all the painful things that happen, some of the things you're going through right now, some of you I know, 
that to know there's this deep conviction that this is, this is the way, this is the plan. That'll bring you to rest, like Jesus. And you won't even have to say anything. And that's the voice of silence. Okay, and let me give you the last one. We'll close here this morning. The voice of substitution, the voice of substitution. Jesus says, or Pilate says, I'll release a prisoner to you. Jesus or Barabbas, a known murderer, an insurrectionist to the state of Rome. And he's hoping that Jesus will be not cho- or Jesus will be chosen to be set free. Now let's just get the context of it, okay? His last name is Barabbas. That's two words in Hebrew, Bar-Abbas. Now, it's interesting, in Mark, he uses the term Abba, Father. That's what it means, Abba, Father. And here, his name is Father. And then Bar, when you put Bar in front of any word in Hebrew, it's the word Son of. So, it literally, his last name means Son of a Father. Now, another text in the New Testament coincidentally tells us his first name was Jesus. So he's Jesus Barabbas and Jesus of Nazareth. So what do you got? You got two Jesuses, all right? You got two Jesuses. One is the son of a father, and the other is the son of the father. Who do you want? You want the son of a father, or do you want the son of the father? But the people don't want a heavenly son. They want an earthly son. They want Barabbas. They want a different Jesus. They, they want a Jesus that won't make them feel guilty. They want a Jesus they're not going to be jealous of. They want a Jesus they're not going to be convicted by. Okay, we don't want that Jesus. And by the way, for the last 2,000 years, the world has been looking for a Jesus that is different than the Jesus of Nazareth. They want a Jesus that's not going to convict them. They want a Jesus that's not going to draw them to a place of being jealous of him or that is going to convict them of their sins so that they feel guilty. So they say, give us Jesus Barabbas and kill Jesus of Nazareth. Give us the son of a father on this earth, but don't give us the son of the father in heaven. This is a picture of substitution. I'm just going to read it to you because I love it, okay? Let the guilty live. And kill the sinless one. Treat the guilty as innocent and treat the innocent as guilty. Who would do that? But that's the picture of substitution. Barabbas, as the guilty, is guilty of rebellion, sentenced to death, he goes free. Jesus is innocent and falsely accused, and he will die in Barabbas' place. The imprisoned one is released, and the free one becomes bound in his place. Through Jesus' death, he dies in the place of another. God the Father forsakes Jesus and offers forgiveness to the sheep who've gone astray. That's us. We're Barabbas. And this is the whole story of the gospel. But ultimately... Jesus lived a life of sacrifice and a life of being a servant. And he died in our place. And now he asks us to go out and live like that. That's our calling.
because we have had the substitution of Jesus put on us when we chose Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And now he says, now you go out and you bear that for others. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Let's pray. Just with every head bowed and eyes closed, we're going to invite the praise team to come at this time. We're going to have an invitation. And I just want to speak to everyone in this room right now for just a moment. There may be someone in here that has not made a decision for Jesus Christ yet. And the truth of the matter is, as I've spoken, you've heard the voice of God himself saying he is God. He is the Messiah. You've heard the voice of reason. He is either Lord, he is liar, or he's a lunatic. And maybe in your life you've heard the voice of love. And if you've never heard it from a mom, never heard it from a dad, a grandparent, Let me be the voice of love to you. That Jesus died for you. He shed his blood for you. And he wants to save you. And at this moment, you may not realize the weight. But as you stand before God, God stands before you. Spirit is speaking. Is he speaking to you that you need to be saved? You've never put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to give just an opportunity, just a moment here in this service. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. I want to really just know that there's someone here, God's speaking to you. You'd say right now, you know, Pastor Rob, that's me. I need to be saved. Would you lift up your hand right now and say, that's me. I I need to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Just lift it up where I can see it. Hold it up so I can see that. Say, that's me. I need him. Take just a moment. God's speaking. I don't see any hands, but if your hand's going up, put it up so I can see it. I'm not going to wait. Okay, I don't, I don't see any hands right now, and that's fine. Maybe you're here today and God's speaking to you as a child of God to go out, be that voice of love, be that voice of reason, be that voice that speaks into other people's lives. I know you've got a tough road ahead of you because I have it too. It's that public opinion that wants to shut me down, wants to keep me quiet. I want to speak for him. I want to pray that over each one in here. Father, I pray for those that know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I pray they'd be that voice, be the voice of love, the voice of reason, the voice of God himself, as if he was speaking through them. So they go out into this community as they rub shoulders with folks, as they share the name of Jesus. Strengthen them, Father, for that task. I pray your hand upon it.
And God, may we all rest with the deep conviction, the deep conviction that we're, things are going exactly as they should be in our life. May we rest in that today. May we go forth triumphant for that. God, I pray your blessing on that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Praise team is going to lead us in this song. Let's join in and worship through it. If there's a need in your heart, the altar is open for anyone that needs to come.